0: that had been one of my dreams from the very beginning that the team would take the business on one day.
1: Welcome to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast by Coralis, a global community of women and non-binary people making real progress on the world's to-do list. Together, we're transforming the world to become more equitable and sustainable. Hi, I'm J Ryan. I'm happy to be with you today to have a conversation with Alicia Watson, formerly of Nisa, and uh, we uh, are going to explore why she's formerly in Nisa and the very, very, very big news about what's happened with them. So, Alicia, tell us tell us about Nisa for those who uh, need a refresh.
0: Yeah, Nisa um, is an ethical underwear swimwear and activewear label. Uh, that employs women from refugee and migrant backgrounds in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, So we have a workshop. And when I left, we had maybe like 15 staff, uh, most of whom were working in production. And then we also had, you know, marketing and customer care and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And when did you, so this is your idea, right? And when did you start it?
0: I started it in 2017, quite a wee while ago now, maybe six years (laughs) <laughs> I'm losing track of time
1: <laughs> yeah and so what was your intention for this at the beginning and what has happened since then
0: <laughs> well my my intention at the beginning really came from my experience volunteering with the refugee community in Wellington Um, I was working with as a volunteer with the Red Cross to help resettle newly arrived refugee families in our city. And I was also working at the community law center because uh, at that point, I was a lawyer supporting with refugee and migrant legal advice. So I had quite a bit to do with the community and I guess I was seeing some common, common threads that were uh, concerns that a lot of people had um, and one of the biggest issues that people were had had was the real struggle in finding work you know for for a lot of people of working age you know it's work is what you do it's what get you gets you out of bed in the morning it's what you've done all your life and so to come to a new country and then just have no one interested in you know taking you on and no one who's interested in your skills or what you can have to offer is really kind of deflating i guess and and yeah. ultimately quite depressing for people and so yeah i saw that that struggle and was thinking about different ways to solve it and i've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit and so i thought you know what screw it might as well solve this problem directly by just creating jobs.
1: <laughs> and so, how did you land on ethical underwear? I never heard well, that. Well, I'm curious.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> That's very funny. Underwear. So, basically, a lot of women in the community had amazing sewing skills. And I was just learning to sew at that point myself as like a hobby that I did outside of my legal career. And so, even though there was a big language barrier, I, you know, I'd show show some of the women that I was working with the like pictures of things that I had sewn and then show me things that they had sewn and like you know embroidery and beautiful things uh and yeah I guess it was a point of connection so I saw the skill and the strength there that didn't require language to overcome yes yeah another thing to note is that um a lot of people especially people who have been out of the schooling system for a long time um, or left school when they were very, very young, I'm talking like 10, 11, 12, some people really struggled to learn English. And so it was um, this idea that, you know, after a few years in the classroom, you'll be fluent to some people just uh, isn't what happens. Um, and so finding a, a skill and a job that wasn't, re- didn't require perfect English, that you could actually get by with just kind of beginners or intermediate English, and then use the skills that you already know to kind of develop your language capabilities further. So yeah, I thought sewing was a great fit. And then I was like, oh, what do we want to sew? And I um, I have no interest personally in being a fashion designer. Like if that was a dream of mine, I think I would have been like, let's make a fashion label. But yeah, that was just not something that filled my heart with joy. So I thought, okay, do something practical. And I had hired... Quite a small workshop space, and I, if anyone's ever worked in like clothing retail, you know how much bloody space clothes take up. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> well, and so I was like, small things. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, mm. and then someone mentioned underwear, and I was like, ooh, underwear, small underwear, you can ship around the world really easily. Um, most people just this is probably a bit of a simplification, but most people want similar things, right? Most people want like kind of cotton basics comfy kind of you know maybe a few different colors but it's not rocket science so yeah we started out with underwear as our core offering then we kind of went into bras and socks and the product range expanded naturally from there but yeah underwear was where it all started
1: I remember working with you when there was bathing suits and activewear challenges yeah
0: absolutely always
1: and and you ended up like with huge though lines and different fabrics and different oh. sizes and styles, and in, right? I mean, how, how many how many different options did you have at the end of when you were there?
0: Um, I think in the, by the end we had, so a SKU is, is a stock keeping unit and it's kind of industry parlance. Uh, and we had by the end something like 2000 SKUs because imagine if you have 40 products, which isn't even that many, you know, when I say a product, I mean like a style of bike short or a style of underwear. So let's say you have 40 products and you're offering seven sizes per product and you're offering seven colors per product. You've got 40 times seven times seven. And I'm not a mathematician, but that ends up as a very, very, very large <laughs> <light> number. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: So, so what's the big news? Um, so you, you were going along running this business and mm-hmm. can't work and you were, it was growing. And then what happened? Mm-hmm.
0: Basically, in, um, I had my first baby in July last year, and that was a bit of a reset for me because I realized that basically that I needed someone else to take the business forward. So I was trying desperately to find a new owner and I was in negotiations with lots of people, but for different reasons, they all fell through. And then, um, and at that time, the kind of cost of living crisis was growing, the economy was turning. And I, and what, what in the beginning was a nice to have, like, oh, I'd be lovely to find a new owner for Nisa. By the end turned into a need to have, like, I, I need to find a new owner for Nisa for it to continue. Someone with deeper pockets than just little old me. And because I, you know, tried so hard to find a new owner and I couldn't. Well, it just didn't work I told myself you know when I was in the last set of negotiations with someone I said okay if this doesn't work out I am pulling the plug closing Nisa it down because they just don't have any any other options there's no path forward so yeah those negotiations collapsed and so I said I got my team together and said okay making the really decision hard decision to close down the business and they were so incredibly supportive and I was yeah just it just reminded me what an Absolutely exceptional team that I had. And then so we went out to the public, told everyone we were closing down, and I can't even describe the the absolute insanity that followed. So yeah, we <laughs> sold maybe like half a million dollars worth of product in four four to six weeks, and like we'd usually sell a million dollars worth of product in a year. So yeah. it was just absolutely insane. And all of those sales basically meant that the business was in a wildly different condition than when I had gone out to sell it previously. Um, It was in a really different financial position. And also just seeing all of that support, some of my team got together and approached me to say, hey, actually, we're keen to take it forward. And I just cannot even believe, like, just, it just the most insane and dreamy suggestion because, like, that had been one of my dreams from the very beginning that the team would take the business on one day. It was this kind of crazy period where I had booked flights to leave overseas to visit family, thinking that the business would be closed. Uh, and then at the last minute, I was, in, you know, trying to work out how to make it work with the team. Got this flight coming up. Oh my god. Uh, workshop lease expiring oh um, you know it was just absolutely manic but you know like a week before I left the country me and my team came to like a you know an agreement about how it could work uh, and they you know five members of my team including some staff from refugee and migrant backgrounds took you know bought the business and yes. so, you know, it lives to see another day. <laughs> and it's even more purpose aligned than it ever was because of those staff and refugee and migrant backgrounds and now in ownership positions within the business it's so much an
1: ownership position. It's such an amazing uh, mm. new chapter, right? That for you yeah. just to, to see that and to have that happen. I mean, one of the things that you, you kind of skated over was because there was such an outcry of support from the community, in such a short time, you were able to discharge your debt, so that's yeah. why the business was okay. That that they totally. could move forward because they could start afresh without having yeah. debt, and then they went and did a crowdfunding campaign, right? And made a fortune. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, I think they raised. I can't remember the exact figure, but something like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get the business off the ground again. Which is yes, yeah, absolutely amazing. You know, who knows what will happen? Times are still hard for businesses out there, but yes. for me, it's just a I couldn't have imagined a more intense but perfect end to my time at NASA.
1: <laughs> it's true. True. I just remember because I was talking to you then, but I just remember how it was so stressful to go through the roller coaster of trying to sell. So anyone listening to this who they've going through that, this is just naturally you know it's like someone's interested and then when you do due diligence they start to you know see things and they decide that they're not interested so it's like this incredible up and down up and down and you did it several times and the stress of that and then to have it have it turn out that the very people that you had founded the business on behalf of bought it it's just so exciting
0: oh, totally so wonderful yeah yeah and as you mentioned beforehand that just wasn't an option when i was looking for buyers because the financial position of the business meant that it wasn't going to be an option for them but yeah it was with that amazing community support kind of
1: yeah you the community oh, yeah really really loves you because they really mm. and nisa they came through mm. big time for their for the brand right That's totally. so yeah yeah
0: and and so it was yeah a great feeling to pay off all of the loans including the Coralist loans, that felt really, really good.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I told you, but because you were able to pay off the loan in advance, so early, we were able yeah. to fund seven ventures this year instead of our typical five because of you. It's such a <laughs> wonderful follow-on happiness, a positive effect, right?
0: <laughs> totally. When I was at Carlos Summit earlier this year, meeting those seven new ventures, it was very special to know that two extra people were there because of that. Yeah, but I, I think for me, I was just relieved that it, it was even possible to pay the loan. Like all the, no all of the other stuff is just, uh, it's icing on the cake. I was worried that there'd be no cake.
1: <laughs> yes, I know, I know. But there was cake enough for us all, which is exactly what we're here to try to uh, help create in the world, right?
0: Mm. So that's
1: fantastic. So what, what do you, what's this chapter of your life about now?
0: Yeah, so I am... I've gone back to life as an employee which feels really nice. <laughs> I think I'll always be an entrepreneur in my heart of hearts but I think this season of my life I um I need something a bit different, you know, a bit more um a bit less wild maybe. Yes. <laughs> than yeah. than run owning your own business and managing your own business. Um so I am working for a data and digital agency that supports Uh, the not-for-profit sector.
1: So you're still connected to the things that you really care about. Yeah
0: yeah. and like the tech side even though we're an underwear manufacturer kind of data and digital side of the operation like automating as many processes as we could getting great data to report on our impact but also our productivity all of that stuff was like it's where I just absolutely geeked out and loved life and so I, I was very kind of surprised and grateful to find a job that played on those interests so perfectly
1: i've never seen better dashboards and reporting <laughs> than you had i was always impressed because you sent me the, the your advisory board deck every time and there was yeah. the dashboards were just like genius but one time we were talking about how can you teach everyone else and in, in our venture community how to do this and i'm still not willing to quite give that up
0: <laughs> well i am here as a resource for you there's no no worries there but yes i i love all that stuff so
1: yeah yeah so looking back on your experience what's the thing that surprised you the most that you learned that was like that you learned that was surprising to you
0: I learned so much so it's just hard to pick out a few things I guess you have huge highs and huge lows throughout your business journey but there's never a point which is like when you're in the lows you can never um there's not a point at which it obviously isn't working, or it, there's obviously no hope. And equally, when you're in your highs, there's never a point where you're like, "This will work forever." Totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that means that like there's this huge ambiguity always, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and yeah. you, like, the question isn't whether the whether the business is objectively good or not good solid or not solid it's just like do you have the energy to get up every day just keep on doing it and if the answer is yes you just keep on doing it and if the answer is no you just don't
1: yeah yeah that's so true
0: and the reality is just constantly changing pivoting adjusting like that kind of becomes your life that constant change
1: yeah, I just from I just know this from being on my side of this, which is working with ventures and be like, mm-hmm. oh no, they're gonna, it's in terrible trouble, it's not gonna work. because <laughs> I talk to them t- next two weeks later, it's like, oh, all of a sudden, <laughs> and everything's great. And Then it's like, oh, it's all gonna be great, it's all gonna be fine. Nope, no trouble. It's literally, I remember seeing <laughs> graphics said the entrepreneurial journey and it was this really big roller
0: coaster of up and down
1: I was like this is exactly what's true right
0: totally I think it's you have to have kind of sound crass like balls of steel like you need to really (laughs) be quite tough to like navigate those those huge swings and and you kind of have to be a bit insane as well you have to think you know I the signs are showing me that things are going badly but you know I think everything's gonna be okay
1: <laughs> you know? it's Interesting, because when I very first started to be an entrepreneur I went to this pub I was a book publisher I went to a book publishing con uh, convention and um the guy who was the speaker in the room said I want everyone to stand up and say I am a compulsive gambler and I thought, that's my problem. I'm not a compulsive gambler. I don't like to gamble with money. That's <laughs> like, that's what I'm too, It's this is not for me. Mm. This is a game that, but because what you do is, the reason why it's compulsive gambling is instead of keeping money, you keep pouring it back into inventory and you keep on totally. making more stuff. And so, <laughs>
0: Totally, it is like it, business is hugely risky, but you don't really realize that in the start. And if you did, you wouldn't do it. So that's, yeah. <laughs> you just have to have this like endless supply of optimism because I don't think any pessimistic person would ever ever create no. a business. <laughs>
1: no, that I have to say, the one thing I've seen in common about all the people I've ever worked with for Coraless and other startups that I've worked with is optimism yeah absolutely if you're not optimistic it's too hard you just yeah you have to believe it's going to work out
0: and it's totally
1: amazing to listen to my I mean if if you were a fly on the wall you'd hear Mm. things like this is bad and this is bad but it's all going to be fine it's like (laughs) it's like inevitably end with it's all going to be fine and I just think that's what it takes to be able to do well
0: this." this is actually why it's so um helpful to have people on your team who are more pessimistic ideally your finance person like Mm -hmm. the dream is because I think it's real when you're a really naturally optimistic person you you put a naturally optimistic person with a forecast and they're like oh there's going to be absolutely no problems like I'm forecasting huge growth and our expenditure will actually remain completely flat like oh wow
1: describing my business partner at the time but I used to make him do high medium and low yeah uh, you know like a forecast because he was of course always uh, believing that the high was gonna work and I go okay that might be but and of course (laughs) never ever was the high
0: (laughs) totally so you need that person to be paired with someone who's much more like well what happens if we're just equaling <laughs> our revenue of last year what happens if it drops by 20 percent? what happens yeah. if we need to give a room pay rises like you need that kind <laughs> of that that more um, pessimistic <laughs> energy in the rooms because without good forecasts it's really hard to keep a business going
1: well especially in a, a product business where you have to have so much inventory and all of that
0: totally yeah. totally
1: what's your advice to anyone listening who is an entrepreneur like what would you What would you advise them after however many years of, of your wisdom of working in your business?
0: I think to upskill yourself, be your own CFO. So even if you have a CFO, even if you have an accountant, it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> as a CEO, you need those skills as well. And if you don't, your business will be a lot weaker for it.
1: You said something about how applying to Coralis and re- being required to put your numbers together was really helpful to you, right? Can you say a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I applied to be a Coralis Venture, the reporting requirements were like pretty intense, like in terms of the, like uploading your financials to a workbook and mapping accounts against each other. And I was like, just had no idea like how to do that because I didn't understand like basic accounting principles, I guess. And I know a lot of other ventures feel um, similarly. They really struggle with that that, na- that that part of applying to be a venture. Um, and then when I applied, uh, Activator left a comment on my application saying, oh, if I needed any help to reach out to them. And I looked up who they were and it was this woman called cassandra with a huge amount of business experience directly having her own businesses being the ceos but also at a board level and she had been both a lawyer and an accountant so i'm like oh my god you know ding 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 um dream dream person to have on your on your team in your corner you know so I contacted her and she kind of just applied like a level of financial rigor to our books it's like no this should be categorized like this this is how you structure this that shouldn't be there what are you doing with that that just like kind of created this like better understand the finances be able to kind of like meet her where she was at and have answers to some of her questions and so I put lots of effort into that I went to like a CFO training, I really dived into it. And so the next year that I was applying to be a Coralist Venture, because the first year I applied, I was a semi-finalist. I didn't get through. Uh, And then the next year I just found it so easy to kind of do that, you know, upload the financials, map the accounts accordingly. And I was like, oh my God, how far I've come. and But it wasn't, so even though it was kind of like an administrative thing that prompted me on that journey, man was it absolutely crucial to being able to run the business and then later on in my business journey um when I started to go decided to go away on maternity leave I hired a CFO and she came so she's a proper accountant you know uh, but she was in the mm-hmm. business and she bought this amazing financial toolkit and used all of these like set up all these kind of spreadsheets that did interesting things and I was like what you know and it just showed me more and more what is possible and like if only I'd known that at the beginning
1: (laughs) you're a secret accountant just for anyone listening we've simplified the reporting of finances process but it's it is still true that you really should understand your numbers right
0: yeah Yeah. totally totally but yes I realize this is probably a boring topic for people who don't like finances
1: So is there anything else that you want people to know before we say that? about you or about the business or maybe how people can contact Nisa if they want to get some underwear? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So um, further support of Nisa and the team doing, and like also just getting your mitts on some amazingly comfortable underwear, you can go and shop online at nisa.co.nz, that's N-I-S-A or follow, um follow them on social media at Nisa.workshop. But also I, I guess just knowing that all the entrepreneurs out there who are part of the Coralist network, or just I guess any entrepreneurs generally, just how um how amazing it is to be a part of a network of other entrepreneurs. Because man, it can be lonely if you don't have a co-founder, you know. Uh, and oh, so, so maybe if you do have a co-founder I think it's easier to get the like emotional support you need from that person mm-hmm. but if you are a the sole founder or a sole CEO you know mm-hmm. uh, there are loads of stuff that you can't really talk to your team about uh yep. and so just having that that network there of people who get it who know all of the embarrassing things about running a business <laughs> who have been there before and um and you can kind of complain to freely. That was very freeing for me. Just being, <laughs> uh, just being around a group of people who get it because it is an incredibly, incredibly intense journey. And it's kind of hard for people to understand who haven't been on it themselves.
1: Well, I enjoyed every minute of working with you, Alicia. Aww. And I really, really wish you all the best in this next chapter. And um, I bet you'll end up starting another business someday. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not anytime soon, that's for sure. And actually just for the <laughs> listeners out there to know that MJ was my coach and mentor for the last, what, 2023, for the last three years. And I think we've yeah. met probably fortnightly or month, monthly yeah. or fortnightly, depending on the level of uh, –
1: Challenges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> depending on how how rough the rivers were. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, so she's been an absolute a constant presence in my life for many years and just witnessed many, many tears <laughs> and given many a virtual back So <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: right.
0: um so just the hugest thank you to MJ and that was for me that was the biggest gift to come out of the Coralist Network. It wasn't like the meeting other people, so energizing, the loans that you get so enabling, but just that emotional support, Ike, is maybe the most appreciated of it all.
1: Well, my pleasure. I really, really, really enjoyed thinking with you. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast. Let us know what you thought of the episode and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at www.coralis.world.